98.7 FM, Arizona's sports station, Bigly Blast. The Suns play their final preseason game tonight, and then it's on. The third swing at that elusive NBA title, a chance to atone for that dumpster fire collapse last year. So why am I so concerned? I'm concerned because the Suns have done next to nothing this offseason. Because they're already $17 million over the luxury tax line, because the current owner is selling the team, and probably isn't motivated to digest a hefty tax bill, because the team is very small, one through four, and their bench is really thin because campaign is still a backup for a 37-year-old point guard and because of the bot vibes or lack thereof. You know, the vibes that once defined this entire group. Now, I'm also concerned that according to a Yahoo story that the Suns' pursuit of Kevin Durant came with a caveat that Cam Johnson was off limits. Not Mikhail Bridges, Cam Johnson. Now, what puzzles me most is the Suns still have their full cachet of future draft picks. The currency that all in-it-to-win-it teams generally use to stock their bench with hardened veterans. So what are the Suns waiting for? Who are they waiting for? And how will they fare in the first two and a half months before trading season begins in the NBA? Either way, it's a good thing that we have all learned that regular season victories do not matter all that much. Because at this moment, it looks like they're going to be a lot harder to come by in the upcoming season. All right, today's Bickley Blast brought to you by my great friends at Chapman BMW who make luxury affordable with two great locations. Find them online at ChapmanBMW.com. Yeah, basketball season is upon us. It One is. One more of the uh, dress rehearsal games tonight in downtown Phoenix against the Sacramento Kings in a week. Oh, I can only fast forward. Next week's a big week, by the way. We got that primetime giveaway going on. We got Wednesday oh, yeah. night season opener for the that? Suns and against the Mavericks. Thursday night football. Thursday night football. Oh, wow. On Amazon, so if you don't know how to find it, start now. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. If you happen to live with Jared Carlin's father, <laughs> get somebody to figure it out. Somebody yeah. help out Jackie the yeah, Jet, right, for goodness sakes. Right. So, uh, okay, so let's get into the to, to some of the stuff that you and I just focused on recently. There's a story on Yahoo Sports that it centers on what, the Sun strategy with Jay Crowder and, and and how odd it seems to general NBA types that they have gotten into this situation where the depth where they clearly could use some help in terms of depth, and they've got this guy who is no longer part of the team. Yes, uh, and and. To be fair, Jake Fisher wrote this, and I really enjoyed the piece. There's a lot of information that I hadn't seen before on this front. But it is presented from one perspective. And he's got quotes from other like anonymous NBA executives. Uh, One quote, uh, Western Conference executive told Yahoo Sports, quote, I thought the way Phoenix played the situation with Jay Crowder is strange. Uh, You're not a super deep team. You're a contender. Doesn't it seem like there's some other way to resolve this other than sitting him out and hurting your depth? Uh, One Eastern Conference executive said, for Jay to hold out is pretty rare. It's pretty extreme. It's really interesting that they didn't just play hardball with him. That's putting the onus on the organization, which uh-huh. where we are in this in this current scenario, there's culpability on that side, but there's also culpability on, on Jay Crowder's side. And I brought this up yesterday, mm-hmm. is Jay Crowder, um, we don't know the details. We know it's been rumored slash reported 
but there's been very little. Jay Crowder is cryptic when he does do anything on social media. The Suns have been tight-lipped about it. Right. We don't know the level of discontent there on both sides. But I also think it's very interesting that Jay Crowder, if, if what is has been reported is true, that he wants to be mm-hmm. a starter, and he's desirous of a contract extension. Look, I get that. He's 32 years old. He signed a three-year deal. I don't mm-hmm. think we were over the moon when the Sun signed Jay Crowder to join Chris Paul in that offseason. We saw the results, but I never expected Jay Crowder to get more than a three-year contract from the Phoenix Suns. No, and, same. And he's been good. I think his stance is a little strange right now, too, because it's October 12th. The season begins uh, next week. There's not a lot of opportunities for Jay Crowder to hook on A with a contender and B a contender with a starting spot open where he's going to play a key role right now. Yeah, the Jake Fisher story points out something, uh, reports it as fact that that I think we all kind of knew going in, and that is the Suns want a uh, player, uh, a ready plug and player, kind of plug and play kind of guy in return. They don't want draft picks. Is what I'm trying to say. Yes. Is what I'm struggling to say. They don't want draft picks. They've already got enough of those. And and that makes this thing complicated as well. This is a very odd time to try to change up your team, and it's so so you wonder. And and then you look at Cam Johnson and the contract extension that that they want to get done. And then you wonder, okay, exactly, you know, what else is feasible to expect with this basketball team? The idea that Cam Johnson was off limits in a Kevin Durant trade shocks me. I mean, that that seems to me to be a little short-sighted because there are people who wonder just exactly – we all think Cam Johnson's got this incredible ceiling, but, you know, as a four, playing defense and rebounding? I, I, that's another thing we don't know. Even though it was addressed at Media Day and in the mm-hmm. days that followed is how far down the road did the Suns go in, in the pursuit of Kevin Durant? No. It was presented as not very far because of Brooklyn's stance that – we didn't want to get rid of him. Yeah. So they could dig their heels in. Right. You know, was that just preliminary? We're not trading Cam Johnson, don't ask. Yeah. Well, well, we'd like him. I don't know if that exchange ever happened. Me neither. But it, but it would seem to be a strange piece that would stop you from pursuing Kevin Durant. And we don't know that that it did. But I'm just saying that's, I, that's a strange caveat. Because if you ask me, I, I would have had that stance for Mikhail Bridges before Cam Johnson. I would say that's the guy. It, I, I would have said it for anybody, personally. But if if you were, I would have said that about Mikhail. Maybe it is. Certainly some, would have prioritized yeah, Mikhail over right, Cam. That's what I'm, yeah. yeah. Maybe it has something to do with the money, because Mikhael already got his new contract. Cam Maybe. is still out getting paid hardly anything. I don't know. Okay. But if you're, if you're dead set on keeping Cam Johnson and not willing to trade him, that pretty much indicates you're paying you're him paying Mikhael him. Bridges' money yeah. at some point. That's right. That's exactly right. So there's a lot of questions with this team. And, and again, it's, you know, this, this front office, as pointed out in the piece, they've taken a lot of shots, uh, anonymous shots and otherwise, from people who think that they just completely punt on, on draft evaluation, oh. scouting, in the gym kind of stuff. There's the cuts we played earlier, if you didn't want to play more just from that Bill Simmons pod, yeah. it's all it's all about them killing the front office, not picking up free agencies, what they did with Jalen Smith, the backup point guard, the backup power forward, all kinds of stuff. Yeah, um, there was uh, th- those cuts from, from that podcast, the BS podcast, Bill Simmons podcast. Uh, I want to play a cut, though, from former NBA guard, now analyst, Greg Anthony, because I think 
he's on to something here. Uh, and he's talking about just how important DeAndre Ayton is for the Suns to get done what they want to get done this year. If the Phoenix Suns want to have any chance to get back to the finals and win that Western Conference, he is the key. Mm-hmm. He will be the catalyst because I think he's the guy. Look at all the young guys. He still has the highest ceiling. You know, this is a young man. Every year he's gotten better. He's a really good screener. He understands how to play out of the pick and roll. He's also a guy that's willing to help. He's improved his mid-range game. He, like this is play. These are plays where oftentimes they don't always lead to a shot for you, but he understands it's going to create an opportunity to make my team better. And oh, by the way, he's also a guy that can play out of the post. Not a lot of guys that are traditional centers that have that ability. And I think that's something you're going to see the coaching staff really lean on more and more. As as Chris Paul starts to get a little longer in the tooth, uh, they're going to need another one of those young guns to take a step. And I don't think there's any doubt he is the most talented young player on their team. Much maligned for whatever reason. But I do think that he's a guy that needs to grow the most in order for them to have a chance to compete in the West. I agree with that. I think the Phoenix Suns need DeAndre Ayton to be the second leading scorer. Mm -hmm. I think they need DeAndre Ayton to be a 20-plus point scorer this year. I think they need Mikel Bridges to be around 17, 18 a game. Uh, If Chris Paul is your fourth leading scorer or lower, I think you're in pretty good shape. Then Then you're probably having a good season. But... There's also all this talk about Aiton. Yes, he's in the fold now. He's got he got his four year extension. That January fifteenth date is still out there. Are the Suns holding off on making major moves at this point? Because that's the gauge that they're looking at. Is DeAndre Aiton going to be that guy? The key to our success is he going to continue his elevation? Because if he does. Maybe they make moves at the deadline. If he's not, and they're not impressed with what he does, or they're yeah. not confident that he's he's progressing at the rate that they would like, maybe January fifteenth rolls around and maybe he is they move gone. Him yeah. at the deadline it's, instead of add pieces around him. That's good. that's that might be a good game plan. Again, I'll just I'll close with this one line from the John Hollinger piece because this does resonate with me. "Quote: The Suns made the finals two years ago, had the league's top record last season, have a key player who is thirty seven, and have all of their future draft picks." How is this possible? So in, in, in conventional NBA wisdom, it, this is another example of James Jones doing it his way. Hope he's right. Yeah, man. And what does he get described as all the time? He's very, very, very exacting and very patient as a general manager. We shall see. Uh, coming up next. Kyler Murray's got eyeballs on his performance every single week, but going into week six against Seattle after, quote-unquote, this slide, he's definitely got eyeballs on him this week. We'll get into Kyler Murray and more Cardinals Cardinals talk next. It's Bickley and Murata mornings, 98.7 FM, Arizona Sports Station. Bickley and Murata. Dan Bickley and Vince Murata. Bickley and Murata mornings, 98.7 FM, Arizona's Sports Station. Murray is going to run them into position. Sliding, let's check that spot if it's at a first down. If they give him that when he gave himself up, and they're going to mark it a little bit short, so you spike it, now you have to kick. I don't know why you spike in that situation. And he needed to be more aware. If you're going to slide, you've got to get the first down in that situation. You have to get the slide, but yes, you absolutely have to understand that if you don't get the first down there, you can't spike it because it does force you to kick. But he could have run forward another half yard to get the first down, and that's costly. So you have no choice but to leave it up to Matt Amendola. This will be about a 43. We'll check that 43-yard spot here. So 
The attempt to tie with 22 seconds remaining. Uh, and Amendola would miss the kick. Cardinals lose 20-17 to to the Eagles. Um, in the time that's passed since that game, Bick, it's one of those situations where I, I hear that call again, and that was Chris Myers and Robert Smith on the, on the Fox television call. I get more frustrated by it. Yeah. Chris Myers identified it immediately. Immediately, yes. From the broadcast booth with the help of, of television monitors, yes. But Cliff Kingsbury used the term, I was right there. I thought he had the first down. If Chris Myers can diagnose it, the head coach who's right there should be able to diagnose yes. it as short as yeah, well. Yes, and and again, I think I think there's cl- that's clearly a mistake of Kyler Murray, and and I think it's a profound mistake because it's the kind of mistake that can get people rolling their eyes in the locker room. I'm not saying it did, but I do know from as do all the media that were there was that Cliff spent a lot of time chatting with a couple key offensive linemen slash leaders on the football team, and that that tells you something. There was some there was some 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 reparations being done and whether they were dissatisfied with their quarterback for not getting that first down it's the kind of play that can can pull apart a football team because it because it, it you're not meeting the requisite courage level to inspire and win close games we dealt with this at the end of his second year when he had that playoff game in Los Angeles and would not go back in the, until the, the game to get to the playoffs, the game yeah, to get yeah, yeah. to the playoffs, and in year two, mm-hmm. and we dealt with this very same issue, and there were guys squawking in the locker room about that without even knowing any of the particulars, and it's only because it, there's a there's an expectation. Your football team has a view as a quarterback, especially if you're running the ball in that situation. You lay yourself out for the team. Yes. You, you, did, you laid it out beautifully, though, the other day in that it was the perfect storm of mistakes. If yes. you're Kyler Murray, mm-hmm. you have to get that first you down. You have to. Yes. If you're Cliff Kingsbury, you have to know he didn't get the first down. And, and, and you if, have to be prepared for an, another call right there. He's, it's, you can't be thinking about what are we calling next at that moment. That's the thing that sticks with you because even when he comes up short, there's twenty some odd seconds left on the and clock. You have plenty of time, even on the third and one. And here's the to other have thing: one of those five yard plays to get the first plenty down and time. get out of bounds. And here's the other thing about that: they keep saying like, "Well, he thought he got the first down," so he said, "Clock it, clock it." Cliff admitted he said he thought they got the first down, but then he saw them move the ball. Yeah, and he knew at that point and they he didn't. Up. And then and he goes, right. "Well, at that point, it was too late to." It, it you have twenty two seconds, him. even if you had right. to recalibrate for like three or four seconds. That's right. And and that's the element that that people have to remember. And on top of it, he has said even if they had a first down, they might not have done anything yeah, that differently. That, and that that really has you scratching your head. Especially with a backup kicker. Why wouldn't you why wouldn't you take one shot? Why wouldn't you be thinking about scoring a touchdown? You might not choose to do it. But why wouldn't that thought cross your mind? No, but if you want to get I mean, there your goal is you're already in field goal range. And if you watch the television replay, they had the field goal line to gain. They have that field goal zone. Now, that's just distance. That's not accuracy. We get that. Uh, but Kyler Murray ran right past that. The Eagles in that situation, let's say Murray did get the first down. The Eagles in that situation don't want to get beat for a touchdown. They'll give you five yards. Without a doubt. And They're they'll, and they'll take their chances in overtime. Without yeah. a doubt. And and that that's the folly of it all. It just you look unprepared, and that's and that's been a recurring thing in these high leverage situations. I mean, I'll never forget as long as I live him punting away the football 
down by two scores in the end of a game. You're just giving up is what you're doing. And so there are moments like this. The reason why I am fiercely critical of this head coach, it's moments like that. It's exactly why. And then on top of it, then you got a kicker who was is clearly broken. I just wish somebody would have asked Cliff, what was the plan if he would have run for five yards? Because well, at that think point, about it then, Jared, that's the problem. Because at that point, what is he? Is he starting to look at the playbook then? And time is ticking, 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 ticking down. There's not prob- like a play ready to go. There's probably no difference because it would have been a forty. Had that been a five yard run as opposed to a nine yard run, it's a forty seven yard field goal. So you think on a five yard run, they still they go up and clock the ball <laughs> on third down and go no, for the field goal that, no, there? But they would have thought about what to do. That's that's the part that's got a lot of people nutty right now. It's that. It's the fact that in the span of three plays on a potential game-winning drive, not just a game-dying drive, on a potential game-winning drive, you had two clock-the-ball plays and a quarterback sneak. That doesn't seem to be real coherent. No, uh, Cliff Kingsbury was asked earlier this week uh, as well uh, on Monday. This situation now, you learn from it, but does it change how you prepare for similar situations? No, it wouldn't. Um, you can only go by what you see with that amount of time. If you wait, hey, is it the first down? It's not. Clock's running, then you get up there, try to throw a pass. If you take a sack, whatever, don't have time to run the field goal team on. So it was a bang-bang deal, and um, unfortunately, we didn't didn't make the kick and didn't win the game. That's also kind of concerning that you know all of – all of the answers that Cliff Kingsbury had for the questions in that scenario kind of lean towards a lack of confidence in his own offense. Yeah. Yes. And, and, and that's it. It's it. That's the fear factor here that I'm talking about the, and, and when it, when it, when it infects the plays you are calling it, 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 it can have a real damaging effect. I mean, these, these are grown-ass men who are busting their backsides for 60 minutes, and you get down, they expect you to give them a chance to win or to tie. And it, it, these are the kind of things that can add a lot of stress to a, to a program and can pull apart a program. That's why, in my opinion, this Sunday's game is very, very big. They go out, and they if they're sturdy again and they win a game on the road, then the narrative shifts to how great they are on the road, how this is something that's really good that Cliff Kingsbury does. It's yeah. amazing how the season has played out that way. Yeah. Alternating games, home and road, so that the narrative changes every other week. Absolutely, but it's also very much a case of what have you done for me lately, because in the Vegas game, if you go back to week two, the Cardinals succeeded in several different hectic situations. A lot of that had to do with their quarterback just taking matters into his own hands. The latest sample was the quarterback didn't handle it well, the head coach didn't handle it well, and the kicker didn't handle it well. The best case scenario would be a sturdy, to use your adjective, a sturdy performance against Seattle where it comes down to crunch time again. There's key hectic decisions to be made, and the Cardinals pass that test. Yeah. Does right. it wash away or they everything? they just blow them no. out. That would be nice, too. Well, I that mean, it wouldn't be bad. For Cliff Kingsbury's sake, he needs, he needs a win like that. A win where it is greatly affected by a gutsy coaching decision he made that was. Right in in the moment, uh, indeed, I, I completely agree with that, and I and I think that it's like I said, this fan base we know because we hear from them, we get email. They're they're on the edge. There's a lot of latent anger here for the head coach and for the quarterback, and for everything that's gone on this off season, and for anybody who questions the fan base.
<laughs> yeah, Bick. Stop pushing our buttons, Bick. Bick. Stop shaming us fans, Bickley. <laughs> Coming up next, we will talk Suns basketball with the one and only Kellen Olson from ArizonaSports.com. It's Bickley and Murata Mornings coming to you live from the Ak-Chin Community Studios here on 98.7 FM, Arizona Sports Station. Wednesday edition of Bickley Murata Mornings continuing here live from the Ak-Chin Community Studios. Suns and Kings tonight, final preseason game for the Suns. Their four-game preseason schedule wraps up. They will start the season next week on Wednesday against the Dallas Mavericks here to talk Suns basketball with us. He covers the team for ArizonaSports.com. Kellen Olson, our guest here on the Arizona Sports Line. Kellen, how are you this morning? Hey, Vince. Doing well. Um, we have spent a good portion of the morning talking about you know questions, dare I say concerns, with the Phoenix Suns moving on into, into this season. I mean, the Jay Crowder situation is still not uh, solved to this point, and that obviously remains a question. But taking that out of the mix, right now as we speak, what is, what is the biggest question slash concern you have going into the season? I think it's just like the old adage where where there's smoke, there's fire. And and you just see the amount of things that have kind of built up over the last, I I, I guess, six months going back to the start of the playoffs and how when I I was joining your guys' show, even during the first round of the New Orleans series, we were all kind of talking about, okay, this doesn't quite look like the Suns team we've seen, to say the least, that won 64 games, the way that they played in the regular season, just their style of play. And we were kind of wondering when they were going to round into form and turn into the Suns team that we saw the regular season and then of course we get to game seven everything that happens in the off season the stuff with deandre now you've got the jay crowder thing and now you've got the other stuff with deandre with him and monty not talking but now they are talking according to not according to dwayne rank and uh, monty told or i'm sorry deandre told dwayne himself but you, you've just got a lot of stuff kind of going on here and, and i think that beyond the on the court questions there's just off the court stuff that has continued to kind of stack up and i don't think i think all of it could be overblown to a certain extent but there's just a handful of things now that have built up over the last six months i wasn't really buying any of the talk and i'm still not really at all that game seven is the type of thing that could really haunt the team going forward and kind of send them into a spiral i don't don't buy that narrative necessarily but there is a lot of things that have happened over the last six months that kind of support that things aren't really going too well behind the scenes or just in a state of flux right now and and that's not what this team needs just with what happened on the court and and that's where I just remain yeah. most concerned over over anything else on the court right now. Yeah, listen, and and when you get when you get out of the lane of vibes and camaraderie and where is this team at emotionally? Let's talk about the roster because there are a lot of people now, national people who are starting to wonder what, when exactly are reinforcements coming? Is there going to be a move coming? What exactly exactly is James Jones doing with all these draft picks he has when his team's in a win-now situation? Your thoughts on the state of this roster right now? Yeah, guys, we've been talking about it on this show for, for 18 months, two years now, just in terms of the little additions that this team could make and by no means looking at parts of the starting lineup, but just looking at the bench and particularly ball handling and scoring where they could add a bit more, and they just haven't added any of that, and they, and they haven't added anything to their depth really at all this offseason. They, they did not use their taxpayer mid-level exception, which was kind of befuddling. If, you, if you're not familiar, the 
a team in the Suns position with the cap position that they're in right now, you aren't afforded as many assets in terms of the way in which you can sign free agents. And one of them is a little tool called the taxpayer mid-level exception. That's what the Clippers used to sign John Wall. That's what the Nuggets used to sign Bruce Brown. You can get a pretty useful player, but the Suns didn't use it and, and they haven't used it yet. They still can, but to not use it during free agency, given the, the depth concerns that they have is, is slightly Befuddling, and then you, and then you look up and down the roster on the bench. I, I wrote a big story on ArizonaSports.com yesterday about campaign and how he's their X factor right now, and I think he's just one of the most important role players in the league because two years ago they don't make the finals without him. He was tremendous, and then last year he had a much more of a down year compared to the year before. In which campaign they they get, I think it's going to dictate a lot of the way their season goes at least right now, just with the way their bench is shaping up. Because not only is campaign going to have to do a lot of the duties on the ball, I think he's just going to have to do a lot of the duties offensively in general just because of the state uh, of their bench right now and that's where you look at the Jay Crowder situation right now that's where you look at the first round picks you mentioned Dan and you just wonder when they're kind of kind of going to get going here and and it's a lot of patience from the front office but at the same time I'm not really sure I understand the patience because I'm with you and I and I wrote a column about four months ago about the whole Kevin Durant saga, and I was just kind of wondering if they were trying too hard to juggle two windows at once, that being the Chris Paul window right now, and then more of the future window over the next three to five years with guys like Devin Booker, DeAndre, and Mikel Bridges, and Cam Johnson. And I think it's it's too hard to juggle two at once, and, and you might want to pick one. And, and maybe they are picking one, but I'm, I'm with you, Dan. They've got a chance to win the championship this year. I think they should try and take advantage of it as much as possible. Kellen Olsen, who covers the Suns for ArizonaSports.com, our guest here in Bic- uh, on Bickley and Murata Mornings. Uh, a couple of roster moves yesterday at the guard positions. Frank Jackson waved. They bring in two guards in Adonis Arms and Saban Lee. Is Are we supposed to read anything into that? Is there concern over these injuries at the guard position to Shamit and Payne going into the season? Does Saban Lee have a chance to maybe be the third point guard? I mean, what was your take on all of that? I'm not reading too much into it, Vince. The rosters, I believe, have to lock on Monday at 2 p.m. So we've still got nearly the week left. Uh, the preseason ends for them on Wednesday, of course, but they're going to have a couple of practices after that. And like you said, they're dealing with a couple of injuries right now. So I think more than anything, arms and league get to be around the Suns for a couple of days. Maybe they're going to play tonight. Maybe yeah. tonight is a situation where the starters aren't going to play as much and they just need a couple more bodies off the bench, sure. especially uh, after Jackson was waived. So, so I think that's going to be the situation. David Lee is the guy to watch for if there's anyone to watch for tonight because he had a couple interesting years with Detroit and has some NBA skills uh, to his game for sure. What do you think about the, the the size of this basketball team, one through four, taking the five, taking D.A. out of the equation? I think that's where rebounding is going to be a really big thing for them, Dan, and something that Monty Williams has emphasized a lot. Uh, if Dario Saric is around, I think him, Landry Shaman, and Jay Crowder are just going to be three names that are kind of linked together until one of them is moved here in the future just in terms of their size of their contracts and how the Suns have flexibility on the trade market right now. But looking at their size specifically, Dario playing the four is just seems like something that they're going to try. Uh, the surprise of the last three weeks really has been that Jock Landale is seemingly the backup center for this team right now. Landell has a lot of appeal to his game just with his size, the way that he moves, how active he is as a rebounder and a screener, and just seems like a high IQ player, the type of smart passer that they always seem to find at that position. But that was one of the spots where we were not only thinking Dario was going to play there, but Dario was going to be a huge part of their team being back in that spot. But it appears, at least for now, 
Lanil has won that spot. So you look at elsewhere, Dario could play at the four, but I think the other spots on the team there, Dan, you're sort of looking for that impact contributor, and that's where you really hope Landry Shamit can have a bounce back year because you're looking at names like Damian Leach, like Josh Okoji, like Tory Craig, like Ish Wainwright. You've got Campaign, who I mentioned earlier, is a huge X factor, but beyond Payne and Shamit as ball handlers, they don't even have an, an Aaron Holiday or an Alfred Payton, really. They've got two-way guard, Dwayne Washington Jr., and, and that's it. So the depth is in this spot, like you're alluding to, that's in a, in a concerning position right now. And I think the thing you worry about more than any other is if this team has an injury that that goes eight weeks, that goes 12 weeks, they get that type of serious kind of long-term injury that's beyond just a dozen games like Chris Paul had after the All-Star break last year. They're in a spot where their depth is going to get pushed immediately if they just have one injury. And we're kind of seeing that right now in the preseason yeah. when Cam Johnson has to sit out a game or campaign has to sit out two games. It, it puts them in a tough spot. Kellen Olsen, our guest. Uh, before we let you go, Kellen, um, Jake Fisher wrote a story on Yahoo Sports today um, that Vic and I both read during the course of the show about the Suns' handling of the Jay Crowder situation. And, you know, it's critical of the way they've handled that situation. I think Jay Crowder's stance is, is a little bit odd, too. But. Can you see any resolution to this issue anytime soon, um, considering where we are on the calendar and considering that um, Jay Crowder probably has a list of teams that he wants to go to that he, he thinks he can help, but I don't I don't know where he's going to start. I just don't see a quick resolution to this. Do you? Uh, I'm not sure I do either, Vince. I think the answer really just comes down to if James Jones can get a rotation caliber player back for Jay Crowder. So many times in an instance like this when you have a veteran like Jay Crowder on an expiring contract on on a team like this or a, a team a little bit worse than this, I should say, kind of in the middle of the pack as opposed to a contender. Oftentimes they're just kind of looking to get assets back, so like a late first-round pick, a couple of second-round picks. Maybe there's a, a young player uh, on the back end of the rotation that they can find somewhere in a deal like this, but that's not how the Suns operate, and that's not how James Jones has operated just in terms of how he looks at his roster. If he's getting rid of one rotation-caliber player, and this player is Jay Crowder, who's one of their six most important players right now, he's going to want to get a rotation player back. And I think that was, uh, it, for me, when I saw this report kind of come out, I, I thought it was either going to happen immediately or it was going to take a while because I, I think this is just the type of thing where they need to get that type of player back. Gambo had the reporting in Utah just on the Jared Vanderbilt situation and how mm-hmm. they wanted Jared Vanderbilt back. Well, that was because they needed to include two two of those three salaries we talked about for Boyan Bogdanovich. They wanted two rotation players back for their two, and, and that's kind of the problem they're going to run into now and why it might take a while, like you said. Yeah, Kellen, great stuff as always. Thanks for uh, spending Thank you, some time with us. We'll point people to Kellen's work at ArizonaSports.com. He does an excellent job. He joined us here on the Arizona Sports Line. Coming up next, the football world still buzzing about a couple of roughing the passer calls over the weekend, and one of the victims of those roughing the passers has spoken out about it. We'll talk about it next. Bickley and Murata Mornings, 98.7 FM, Arizona Sports Station. Bickley and Murata. Hash marks. It was it was a it was a it was a long hug and a long unwelcomed hug from Grady and uh, he was in the backfield all day. So, as I said after the games, I don't throw flags, and what I do throw is tablets. And, uh, I didn't have one accessible at that time, so he had a hell of a game. That's I'll leave it at that. The comedic stylings of Tom Brady, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> <laughs> That's from the Let's Go podcast with Jim Gray. His reaction to the roughing the passer call. 
Uh, lots of people have reactions to the roughing the passer call. Mm-hmm. There was a report, AP reported yesterday, and I haven't seen it uh, in a lot of different places, that the league is going to take a, a, a look at this and, and maybe review this in the offseason on whether or not what Chris Jones of Kansas City, who also got flagged for a bogus roughing the passer call on Monday Night Football, said, hey, it, why can't we take a, a video review uh, of this to determine what is and what isn't roughing the passer? I think that would be a step in the yeah, right direction, that, but right? it does nothing to help things for the rest of this season. No, no, you're right. And and I think that, that the NFL should know that, that fans react very viscerally to these to these issues here. Um, the idea of of making the game safer and safer for quarterbacks, I don't think interests fans, even though the the corollary is very true. You don't want your your elite starting quarterback injured. It's uh it's it's a dilemma is what it is because I've watched both of those plays any number of times. I can't tell you which one I think is worse. I mean that that shut up, Jared. His his sack of Tom Brady was nothing more than a tackle. Yeah, a prolonged hug. So, yeah, yeah. The, the the Tom Brady one resembled the Tua tackle, yes, and that did. he kind of threw him to the ground. Yes. So I think that was sort of a visceral reaction from the referee, whereas the. Uh, the other one was he did fall on him with his weight. Yeah, but again, the Tua play was not penalized in real time. He's <clears> out. Uh, he's returning to practice, but he's not expected to play this week. But Tom Brady was asked that very question on the Let's Go podcast. Is the league, in your mind, overreacting to the Tua injury? I think that there's a, you know, as always at times like this, such a heightened awareness to different things that are being called. and. You know, everyone saw the two situation, and, and I'm sure all the medical departments across the league were, you know, called, and, and there were meetings and so forth, and, you know, they're trying to keep those things from, from happening again, and again, no one knows the full details of that situation. I'm sure they, ca- I know they came out with something last week that, you know, they thoroughly went through it, and the league made a statement, so, you know, it's a... Uh, I've been in this sport 23 years professionally. A lot of things happen over the course of the week. A lot of things happen over the course of the season. There's points of emphasis. There's ways that people are calling the games, and it differs from crew to crew. So you just got to go with the flow. Sometimes you get them, sometimes you don't. And, um, you know, you just hope they don't impact the game. You know, every ref, I'm sure, would feel like they hope one of their calls doesn't impact the game. I'm sure most refs would just like to stay out of it and let the players play a clean game. So it's just part of sports. That's that's the way it goes. There no, was go, go ahead, Beck. No, I was going to say that it's easy for Tom and what Tom Brady is saying makes a lot of sense. But that play against Tom Brady was very influential it was. in the outcome of that game. The it Falcons was. were they were staging a comeback. They had scored twice in the fourth quarter. They stop them there. They've got all the momentum. They might win that game. By the way, a Falcons seemed that desperately needed a win too. Yes. Yeah. And I think that there was there was overreaction that was called for after the Tua Tonga Vailoa situation and it was handled. The overreaction was the way the independent evaluator right. mishandled the right. situation. Right. It wasn't uh, it wasn't because Tua Tonga Vailoa encountered somebody who was roughing him up or or playing illegal. It was it, that was an internal that was an NFL infrastructure issue. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And the right. reason why Tua Tonga Vailoa was so concussed after that is because he was mishandled the previous Sunday. That's, right. That's where your overreaction needs to come in. Yeah. Not to compare every hit that is similar in appearance or Every tackle on a quarterback that is similar in appearance to what uh, Tupu put on uh, on on Tua Tungavailoa that day, you know, 
Tua Tungavailoa, I hate to say it, he's susceptible. And he was very susceptible there, again, because of the treatment he got. It, it's just frustrating that they take that, and, and we saw one, not one, but two just egregious, in my opinion, missed calls. But what makes it more frustrating for fans is when these referees do speak, mm-hmm. it's always to a pool reporter, and they face questions from one person, and they give the same company line. Right. They're, they're going to stand by their call no matter what. This is what I saw. This is why I called it. It's also like it just happened to happen the week after the two injury. So it felt so reactionary, the calls. It's not like it felt like, well, we've been enforcing this rule all season, obviously. Right. It felt so reactionary that there was two plays, you know, so shortly after the Tua thing. But uh, Brady has a, has a cut in here, sort of what we were talking about yesterday, about the changing, the way the NFL is changing, and not a physical sport anymore. And do you want to play that? Is that where we're going? Because that's where I was going to go next. Go for to it. Go ahead. Take the wheel, Jerry. I'm, I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I, I just want to make sure we, we run out of time. You know, people obviously look for entertainment. Um, but the game has definitely changed from, I would say, physical standpoint of, you know, even, you know, you look at the concussion situation. I mean, we look at boxing or we look at MMA and they show highlights of those things all the time. You know, people getting knocked out. And then when it comes to another context where like football, we, you know, we, we can't imagine that a concussion takes place, you know. So there's almost this aspect that, you know, we as players, yeah, no one wants to get hurt. But at the same time, we know what we're showing up for. And we know that we're going to do the best we can do to prepare our body for the contact. The game has definitely changed from a very physical demanding game to a less physical demanding game and more of a skills competition. And I've said that before in the past, too. He's exactly right. But I also think Tom Brady has set, uh, planted the seed now yeah. for the powers, the Dana White and the powers of UFC to try to make that sport safer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we can't have these headshots yeah. anymore, guys. No. People are no. getting hurt. <laughs> yeah, listen, it, it, to me, I, I really hope the NFL can get through this upcoming weekend without another call like that. Because if it happens again, then you're going to know that this is an edict from the National Football League that we are going to we're going to stop roughing up quarterbacks. Well, the other thing was Brady is one of the least sacked quarterbacks just Mm -hmm. because he's always on really good teams. Uh And he has such the reputation of, you know, the golden boy of the league. Yeah. That the fact that it was him that had the call on it, everybody was like, oh, there's special rules. Absolutely. If it was. Look, that's we not would reality, be, by the way. If you go back the last few years, there are not he, the, he does not lead anything in penalties. You know, no. roughing penalties or any of that. It's all perception. It's, a, it's all perception. You're right. But if it was any other quarterback in the league, would it have been discussed in the aftermath? Yes. But Jarrett's right. The fact that it was Tom Brady just shines a yeah. different light on it and a brighter mm-hmm. light on it that people it, it, it infuriates people even more. But I appreciate his comments. He's, I, I think he's been, been pretty, pretty honest about that. And he doesn't sound like he's very happy about it either. No. No, I agree a with that. A skills competition? Yeah. That's kind of what it's become. It's going to be. Uh, it's, I'm, I'm really afraid that, the, that it, in, in the not-too-distant future, bear-hugging the quarterback is what's going to be constitute a tackle. You get That'll to the quarterback, the you wrap both your arms around him, and he's down. The play is over the minute you do that. It's going to be evolution. So the Pro Bowl turned into a flag football game now, and the regular season's going to turn into the, the Pro, Pro Bowl. Bowl. Yeah. Oh. Right. 
Just generate offense, Man, baby. did you see the game J.J. Watt had on Sunday? He knocked down two passes, had four tackles, and three quarterback bear, bear hugs. That guy's a beast. Yeah, that's right. That's uh, right. If you subscribe to the Bickley and Murata podcast, subscribe right now on your iPhone or Android. You'll never miss any of the show. It's the Bickley and Murata podcast. It's brought to you by Carol Royce, Keller Williams Realty East Valley. Get a higher price uh, selling your home. Get guaranteed offers. Go to higherprice.com. That's higherprice.com. Coming up next, social studies with Sarah Cazell is straight ahead. It's Bickley and Murata mornings on this Wednesday, 98.7 FM, Arizona Sports Station.